here today, and uh, it's certainly a privilege to uh, gather in the house of the Lord. We're going to look forward to what God has in store for us. Wow. All right. Technology, huh? And let there be screen. All right. We're going to go ahead and get started here in just a moment, but uh, I do want to let you know that tonight we're going to be having communion tonight. If uh, you're interested in that, obviously, we'll be following the service. We'll be doing that. And our service will go a little bit quicker so that we can get to that and take care of that. So tonight we'll be, we'll be sharing in, in communion. And then uh, I was uh, kind of taken as I came in today. I met a man that uh, I knew, I mean, back when I was 18 years old. Uh, happened to be here. I sang with his brother in a group years ago. And uh, it's good to see Brother Turner's wife. And uh, it's been a long time. You know, because I'm, what, 35 now, and uh, it's been a long time. But, uh, I mean, we're talking 18, 19 years old. I, I just, uh, it's amazing. But anyway, uh, boy, things have changed. Now, of course, I don't look a bit older. He does. But uh, I thought I'd try. Obviously, you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started today. And again, we're dealing with our... Uh, series on creation, fact, not theory. And so we're going to run right through it and kind of pick up where we left off again. Creation, fact, not theory. Did something go wrong again here? I see the uh, little thing. I got to move it, I guess. Oh, there it goes. Did I mess it up here? Okay, where did it all begin? We talked about that. We said evolutionists traditionally have held that the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing. That's what we said. And, of course, we saw that Discover article there. Uh, where did everything come from? And they claim it came from a three-quarter inch round uh, particle there that all the mass and all the energy of the universe was wrapped up into that, and boom, a big bang. All right, interesting. So it's commonly called the Big Bang Theory, and you learned about it in school, and so did I. And then the Bible, on the other hand, uh, Bible believers have held to the Genesis account. And, of course, we go back to Genesis where the Bible says, and God said, and then ultimately there are six days of creation. God rested on the seventh. So where did it all begin? Did mankind really evolve from apes? Or is he the creation of God? And that's really the issue, isn't it? And that's what we started talking about last week, and we're going to continue to discuss it uh, throughout this morning. So thus the debate continues. And so today I want to look at a couple of things today that are uh, interesting. I think you'll find them interesting, helpful. I hope that uh, before we're, we leave today, you'll be convinced even more than ever that once again, the Bible and creation are indeed the truth. Creation, uh, fact, not theory. And so let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to continue, okay? Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, you'd bless it and help us, Lord, to be found faithful to you. Again, Lord, fill me with your spirit, Lord. I just want to be a blessing to your people. But, Lord, I have nothing in self, Father, to offer. Holy Spirit of God, fill me now. Stand in my shoes, God. Let me be your mouthpiece. And, Lord, I just pray to your God that you would anoint every listening ear tonight, this morning, that, Father, we would hear with spiritual ears, that, Lord, we would drink in and take in that which you have for us. Lord, we live in a world that has bombarded us with theories and ideas. And uh, Father, the truth is, Lord, is that the Word of God is truth. Help us, Lord, not to lose sight of that. So, Lord, today, as we consider this issue, this topic, Lord, may you be magnified once again, for you are worthy of our praise. And, Father, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we talk about the debate. I want to talk today or start by talking about the premise. Again, 
We noted some of this last week, but I want to review slightly. Evolution is the theory that all forms of life as we know them today come from one common ancestor. That's basic. That's as basic as it gets. That all life forms as we know them today come from one common ancestor. Now, the evolutionist position, according to Norm Schambar, uh, uh, Sharbaugh, in his book, Ammunition, is summed up as follows. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to share with you four points that he makes and summing up all of evolution and, and the evolutionist position. Number one, he says that the entire universe, with all of its atoms and matter, has arisen spontaneously through an unintelligent, impersonal process. Now, again, this man is summarizing what the evolutionist position is. Again, the entire universe with all its atoms or, and matter has arisen spontaneously through an unintelligent, impersonal process. Number two, atoms, apart from intelligence, formed into molecules which accidentally arranged into the DNA and proteins of the cell. Then after being protected by the membrane of the cell, which also accidentally evolved, the DNA began to rearrange itself. Number three, the rearrangement of the DNA supposedly brought about invertebrates. Vertebrates, we're talking about spineless beings and then ultimately the ones with spines in them. So invertebrates and vertebrates, fish, amphibians, mammals, and then man. It was a process over time. Evolutionists believe that they can explain all life apart from creation, that naturalistic processes can explain the amoeba to man theory. That everything started off with a, a starting point and ultimately came into being. Okay, they, they just, it happened, the Big Bang. We talked about it already. And then this process began and ultimately we came from amoeba to man through a number of years. Billions of years, millions of years, actually, for the man thing, okay? Now, we saw the, the we, 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 we note the portraits now. I'm going to share with you some things. We saw the premise. Now I want to note some portraits. Now, these are where things get interesting because we start talking about evolution. We talk about creation. And you say, which one's right? What's true? What's not? Well, I want to share with you some things. When I grew up and I was in school, maybe you grew up the same way in public school, and you were taught a number of things about evolution, you saw a number of pictures or portraits of, of how it depicted how we came into being and how things ultimately progressed in time. And so, uh, again, uh, the theory is outlined and it's even promoted by these different icons or pictures that you saw in your science books growing up. And so, again, uh, I, I don't know about you, but it was taught as fact to me. It wasn't taught as theory. Oh, they say the theory of evolution, but if you didn't believe it, you were, it's because you were, you were ignorant. You know, you just couldn't see it for what it really was. So, in a sense, it was taught virtually as fact. And so, all the way through grade school, even into college, every textbook that I ever read had certain images in it that depicted evolution and proved to me from a picture that it indeed took place the way science claims it does or did. So I want to look at just some of those icons or those pictures or portraits today. I want us to consider them because they were ingrained in our minds and our hearts growing up. I remember them to this day, and I want to share some of those with you and note maybe some things about them that aren't quite as cut and dry as they were made to seem. So first of all, 
I want to talk about Stanley Miller's experiment. Miller claimed to have reproduced the atmosphere of the primitive earth. He, he in a, in a, in a uh, laboratory, supposedly produced what the atmosphere was like before everything started or began. Now, he then took sparks and he shot them into this atmosphere, which simulated lightning. And then he, and, and as a result of that, he managed to produce this red goo that contained amino acids in it. So we have this, this uh, professor, or we have this scientist there in a laboratory, and he creates a supposed environment that is ex- exactly like the, the, the old earth, or before earth even existed, this, this, this earthly, old type of atmosphere, and he shot some sparks in it, and boom, this goo was created, and it had amino acids in it, and of course amino acids are a very important building block of life. So we realized at that point, obviously, if he could do this, it could certainly happen. And, and, and so Miller's experiment was a real important fact to saying basically that evolution was true. Because it could have began out of nothing. So did Miller use the correct atmosphere or not in his experiment? That's the real issue, though. I mean, did he simulate that that primitive earth, so to speak, the atmosphere of the primitive earth, properly? Did he do it the way it was supposed to be done? Well, we're going to find that that may not be the case at all. As a matter of fact, Dr. Miller, according to Dr. Jonathan Wells, who holds a doctorate degree from Berkeley in molecular and cell biology, responded this way when asked that question. He said, well, nobody knows for sure what the early atmosphere was like. Pretty profound statement, huh? But the consensus is that the atmosphere was not at all like the one Miller used. He goes on to tell us that Miller chose a hydrogen-rich mixture of methane, ammonia, and water vapor. Anyway, when it's all said and done, without going through all the details, he basically answers and says that what... Is the evidence for a primal methane ammonia atmosphere on earth? The answer is that there's no evidence. There's no evidence at all that the actual atmosphere that he created in that laboratory was anything like the atmosphere that was here before we existed. Now again, not only do we have those statements by him, but we notice that two of the leading origin of life researchers, Klaus Dose and Sidney Fox, confirmed that Miller had used the wrong gas mixture. Back in, in Science Magazine in 1995, they claimed that experts now dismiss Miller's experiment because, quote, the early atmosphere looked nothing like the Miller-Urey simulation. So all the way back in 1995, you have Science Magazine even coming out and saying that the experiment that Miller used starting with what he called the atmosphere of the early or primal earth, was not even the case. Now, wait a second. If that's not the case, then can we believe the experiment? Absolutely not. Now, all of a sudden, everything that I learned from back then about Miller's experiment and how possibly it could have easily happened on its own, naturalistic uh, means by which we came about or came into being, I guess it's out the window because Miller's experiment is found to be 
foundationless. Because the atmosphere itself wasn't even what most scientists even today believe was the atmosphere of that time. But you know what? That's still in the textbooks. It's still taught today as being a factual and very credible experiment. You realize that? We're still teaching it. Then there's another one that's very interesting to me. Darwin's Tree of Life. Now, I included this tree because, well, you can't see it anyway. It is so tiny. But it starts way down here. Let me see what it says. (laughs) Origin of life. That's what it says. Again, remember that we all come from a common ancestor, right? So therefore, what Darwin ultimately did was he created this tree of life. He said we all started with this origin of life and it began to branch off. And as it branched off, these different uh, cells and different aspects of life began to become more complicated, complex, and as a result, it ultimately ended up being what? Mankind. This sketch was extremely important because it helps to identify how we came into being, where we branched off, how things took place. So Miller established in our minds that life could have arisen spontaneously. Darwin now accounts for how so many species of organisms could slowly and gradually develop over huge expanses of time. Just would take time. But I want you to understand that Darwin's tree of life is a dismal failure in light of the fossil record. Now again, you've got to understand that Darwin himself struggled with the fossil record. In 1859, when his, uh, uh, his origin of the species came out, he himself admitted that there was problems with the fossil record, that things didn't align properly with his theory. However, he fully anticipated that over the years that fossils would be found that would prove that his theory was correct. They would be transitional fossils, fossils that would take one creature to another creature, that they would see change slowly and gradually through the fossil record that proved that everything started from a common or an ancient ancestor and ultimately branched off into these different species and different creatures. But it never happened. It never happened. Jonathan Wells once again states, his theory predicts a long history of gradual divergence from a common ancestor with the differences slowly becoming bigger and bigger until you get the major differences we now have. The fossil evidence, even in his day, showed the opposite. The rapid appearance of plylum level differences in what called the, is called the Cambrian Explosion. Uh, Darwin believed that future fossils discovered would indicate his theory or vindicate his theory, but that hasn't happened. Actually, fossil discoveries over the last 150 years have turned his tree upside down by showing that the Cambrian explosion was even more abrupt and extensive than scientists thought. Now, again, the Cambrian explosion that's being spoken of here is talking about an event that took place supposedly 540 million years ago. Now, again, there are different time frames uh, that an evolutionist will use, different uh, breakdowns. We may look at that uh, Uh, that chart one day and kind of dissect it a little bit. But nonetheless, the Cambrian period began 540 million years ago. What he's saying basically is is that all the way up to the Cambrian period, we see virtually nothing. And then all of a sudden, just like that, we have an explosion of actual animals that are very much like they are, if not exact, to today. 
Well, that's interesting. You say, well, wait a second. 540 million years ago, we know that if God created all things, the earth isn't more than six or 10,000 years old. So that can't be true either. Wait a second. You have to understand that evolutionists base their time frames on, on different geological aspects and all kind of different uh, uh, dating processes. And that doesn't mean they're all true because, see, they don't account for one thing, God. And they don't account for another thing. The flood. We're going to talk about those things in the future. But for right now, we're focusing on this. And so what happened was, is this, this Cambrian explosion took place. And so, let me try to illustrate it. Imagine you're standing on the, on the goal line of a football field for just a moment. You're facing the opposite end. You're looking toward the other goal line 100 yards down the way. You're looking at that thing. Now, all of a sudden, let's suppose that that, that goal line represents the first fossil. A microscopic, single-celled organism. Microscopic, mind you, single-celled. That's what it represents. You're standing on the zero, looking across the, the, the expanse of a 100-yard football field. You start marching down the field. You go past the 20. You go past the 40. You go past midfield. And as you cross over midfield, you, you, you're moving along. And all you really see the entire time are these microscopic, single-celled organisms. You arrive at about the 16-yard line now on the other end of the field. The 16-yard line. Now we're talking, notice time started at zero-yard line. You're all the way across midfield. You're to the 16-yard line now. All of a sudden, you start to see a few things. Just a couple of things that are a little bit different than they were. Uh, For instance, you see some sponges, maybe some jellyfish or a few worms. You take one more step. Oh, there it is. Boom. The Cambrian explosion. All of a sudden, all of these fossils show up of creatures and different organisms and things that look just like they look today. Wow. You mean I start all the way back in time, all these millions and millions of years ago? And I come all the way across these eons of time. Everything looks consistent. Everything's the same. And within one step of time, everything shows up. That's a real problem with the tree of life. Because, see, the tree of life says that everything began with a common ancestor and ultimately slowly over time evolved into what we are now the problem is the fossil record does not reflect that it shows everything is the same and constant all the way up to the 16 yard line and one step later boom everything starts showing up you say but science still puts that at 540 remember they don't believe in a flood that covered the earth and they won't consider it because that would mean there's a that's right So we got a real problem now with Darwin's tree. Matter of fact, it's uprooted and it's upside down now. Then we come to another one. Heckel's embryos. How many of you remember seeing that baby in a book? Oh, you guys never read. You never even went to school. <laughs> okay, you guys, I never saw it. What'd you do, man, during science class? Sleep? Yeah. <laughs> When you got to this part, you felt like sleeping probably. Heckel's embryos. I remember looking at these as kids growing up in my science book. Man, these were awesome. I mean, Heckel shows different animals side by side at different stages of development. 
And, and over here, we've, we've got a fish in his development. Over here, a salamander, a tortoise, a chick, a hog, a calf, a rabbit, and a human. Look how much alike they look. Wow. These striking similarities between early embryos. Early embryos is considered the strongest single class of facts in favor of the theory that all organisms share a universal ancestor. Why? Because look, in the early development, they look exactly alike. Heckel, he said to himself, he said that he believed, and his theory was this, that in the early stages of development, every single creature that exists goes through the same, basically goes back through evolution. So you see a process of evolution here. And therefore, that's proof again that evolution exists and we all come from a common ancestor because we all start off alike. And it's proven through the embryo uh, aspect, through these changes that take place, the developmental stages. Again, they look so much so similar. They really do look similar, and I must admit it. Boy, I looked at that in my science book. I went, wow, maybe there's something to this evolution. Look at that. There are three problems with the drawings, however. Number one, the similarities in the early stages were faked. That's a problem. You say, what do you mean by that? They were faked. What's that supposed to mean? Well, again, when one looks at the drawings of actual embryos, Heckel didn't do that because he just was that confident that his, his uh, theory was that correct. He didn't need to look at them. He knew that they were going to be the same. The problem was they aren't. And not only that, not only that, when they were first exposed, they were exposed in 1860 by his colleagues. They're the ones that said, these don't match up, dude. They don't work. As a matter of fact, he even doctored up some of the drawings. He changed them so they would look more alike. His own colleagues said, this is ridiculous. It doesn't match. It doesn't work. Number two, he cherry-picked his examples. See, he showed only a few of the seven vertebrate classes. In essence, he stacked the deck. He, he basically picked representatives that came closest to fitting his idea. And then he went further, obviously, and even faked those similarities. And finally, this is interesting. He claimed that the drawings depicted the early stages of development. What you find when you really look at these particular uh, uh, creatures back here, or these, these different, it doesn't work, there it goes. When you look at these different ones here, these animals, when you look at their early development, you'll find that it's not early development at all. That it actually is their mid-development. Well, that's a problem. You say, why is that a problem? You see over here I have this, this um, what, do you, what do you call that thing, an uh, hourglass? It is the developmental hourglass. You guys are on top of things today, boy. It is a developmental hourglass. You know what that states and what that teaches? And it is, 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 it's legitimate. That different creatures and different species and stuff all start off extremely different. And then there is a point in their development where they are very similar. And then as they go past that midpoint... In the later life, they become more distinct and separate again. Well, what Heckel did is he took the midpoint and he looked, tried to get them as similar as he could and said, see, these are the early developmental stages of these creatures and see how they so reflect one another, they're so similar. 
Therefore, evolution is true. But he lied. They're not early developmental. They're mid. Which is consistent with what we know today to be true, that the developmental hourglass fits the bill. He, he basically lied once again. He just lied. Embryologists are the ones that say that we have this developmental hourglass. They know it exists. A heckle basically lied. That's all there is to it. I don't know how else to say it. So now all of a sudden, heckle is being heckled in 1860 by his own colleagues. But you know what? It's funny that I still read about those growing up. I saw every one of those pictures. And you know what? They're still being shown today. Even though they've been proven to be fraudulent. I don't know. There we go. Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx. I don't know. I'm going to do the best I can. Back in 1859... Darwin, again, i got to move along fast here. Darwin, he uh, publishes his Origin of the Species. Two years later, 1861, in Germany, this particular fossil is uncovered. Now remember, we're looking for fossils that will prove that there is transition. Transition in the fossil record, right? That's what we're looking for, because over time... We believe that we all came from a common ancestor, and in time, we, we will we'll ultimately evolve into what we are. So we need those transitional figures. Well, two years after his book is published, lo and behold, it pops up. Now, I don't know. Somebody faked it, forged it. I don't know. All I know is, there it is. Do you know what that is? That's a fossil of a half bird and a half reptile. And it's believed to be evidence of that transitional change that takes place. Now, not too many will debate that. Many will say, well... Okay, we know what you think it is. We see what you said it was. The problem is, it's not what you think it is. Okay, now again, we have some people that don't agree that Archaeopteryx is really a transitional change. In, 18, in 1985, paleontologist Larry Martin said that it is, quote, not an ancestor of any modern birds. Instead, it is a member of a totally extinct group of birds. It wasn't running around, you know, a, a transition from being a lizard to a flying bird. That's not it. He says that's not the case at all. He's saying that it was an extinct group, a totally extinct group. Pierre Lecomte de Noy, a staunch evolutionist, he said, we are not even authorized to consider the exceptional case of the Archipteryx. That's exactly how he said it. As a true link. By link, we mean a necessary stage of transition between classes such as reptiles and birds, or between small groups. An animal displaying characters belonging to two different groups cannot be treated as a true link as long as the intermediary, inter, intermediary stages have not been found and as long as the me mechanism of transition remain unknown. Wow. You mean he's going to be that honest about it? Because what he basically just said is, this thing holds no water. It in no way supports the fossil record because it is independent of anything they've ever found. 
Isn't that something? You would think if there's really transition taking place that there would be a number of transitions that show up. What about the duckbill platypus? He looks like a couple of different things. Someone says, well, it's a duck. And then someone says, it's a this, it's a that. You know what that is? Nothing. It's what it is. A duckbill platypus. It's not a transitional creature. Guess what? Neither was Archaeopteryx. So there you have it. Some icons. So what's the conclusion of these icons then? Let me just share this. We are left basically with an origin of life experiment whose results have been rendered meaningless. A tree of life that's been uprooted by the biological Big Bang of the Cambrian explosion has been uprooted and upside down. We have doctored embryo drawings that don't reflect reality and a fossil record that stubbornly refuses to yield the transitional forms crucial to evolutionary theory. What do we have then? Doubts piled upon doubts. That's what we've got. It's that simple. See, we learn these things and we're taught that these things were true, that they were without doubt correct, that they were scientifically proven. The problem is, is that over the years, that last 150 years, especially the last 50, we are finding out that it is not the case at all. But when you don't consider that there is a God to start with, you have to come up with some solution. That means bending or twisting the facts, so be it. But you can't come to the conclusion that there's a creator. We've noted a couple of things. We noted the premise. We talked about the portraits. Now I want to show you one more thing. I want to talk about the proven. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, the Bible says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. The Bible says that the word of the Lord is tried. It's tried, proved, and tested. You go through life, you go through history, and you see so many things that point to the validity of the Word of God. Evolution is anything but proven. On the other hand, the Word of God has been proven to be very true. And again, although at every corner evolution is challenged, I know the Bible's being challenged. People are trying to discredit it. I understand that. But it's amazing that as we go through these last years, especially the last 50 years, the Bible continually is proven trustworthy over and over again. Archaeological finds uncover numerous artifacts that point to our past and confirm the characters and the circumstances that are written of in this book. It's amazing. The walls of Jericho never did fall the way the Bible says. That's a mere story. And yet they found the, 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 the actual remains in the ruins and they found what? That it did exactly or fell according to the word of God. Now, how's that happen? I'll tell you why. Because science is only catching up to the Bible. Because the word of God is tried, proven, and tested. Life did not result... From slow change, but supernatural creation. And God alone is the answer. That's all there is to it. I want you to look, if you would, well, you can see it up there. You can turn your Bible to Genesis. But I want you to understand that God alone is the answer. His word refutes the testimony of science. 
Again, you can take scientists' word for things, but every time we turn around, and I'm going to share some more things with you along the way. Next week, I'm going to share with you, basically, I'm going to tell you about, let me, let me read it so I don't mess it up. I'm going to talk to you about how science points toward theism or how it points toward God. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. But for right now, let us understand that science has their take on things. God has his take on things. I want you to know you can trust God's word. Miller's experiment was invalid. Darwin's tree, upside down. Heckel's embryos, fake. Archaeopteryx is down for the count. And each of those portraits seek to portray or persuade us to discard God for purely naturalistic processes. That's called evolution. Well, guess what? I want you to see how it really went down. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 11, notice what the Bible says here. The answer to how we came into being, the origin of man, is found right here in Genesis, chapter 1, very simply. And God said, let the earth bring forth, verse 11 and 12, grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 21 of that same chapter, he goes on, And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 24 and 25, and God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind. And cattle after their kind. And everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Ten times after his kind. After their kind. There's no common ancestor. All life is not interrelated. All life has a specific creation of basic kinds. And all living things procreate after their kind. R.L. Wongsong, Wysong, excuse me. (laughs) Wysong in his book, The Creation Evolution Controversy, points out a a law of biogenesis. Biogenesis. Genesis, yeah, I guess that's how you pronounce it. He quotes, All life springs from pre-existing life and produces according to kind and type. Well, you know what he's saying? He's saying that that, that law of, says that life did not begin with a common ancestor. Life began when God created independent, unique individuals and animals and plant life. And they procreate after their kind. They produce after their kind. Now, man gets in there and messes around with it, you know, genetically messes with things. But the reality is, is that left alone, mankind will produce mankind. Cattle will produce cattle. Cats will produce cats. Dogs will produce dogs. That's the way it works. And guess what? As we took our journey through history and we made our way across the 20, the 40, the 50, on into the other side of the field, we realized there were only microscopic fragments or, or fossils along the way. And all of a sudden, boom, Cambrian explosion, 540 B, uh, million years B, uh, B.C. supposedly. 
all of a sudden, bam, all these creatures show up. There are no transitional forms showing how they got from those simple uh, cell products to where they are now, complete in form. And nothing shows that transition. Why? Because there is no transition. Because after their kind, they're now producing. God created all things. We'll explain to you why that fossil record dates back so far and why things are so messed up later. But I want you to rest assured today that what we hold in our hand is a book called the Bible. And the author of that book is called God. And when it says, in the beginning, God created That's exactly what happened. And science may try to disprove the Bible, and they may go to every length they can to discredit it, but I want you to understand every time science discovers something new, it only points more directly to God. It's wonderful. Simply wonderful. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In John chapter 1, Verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And he goes on to say, verse 3, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him, all things consist. That is the answer to the origin of life. Not not Miller's experiment. Not Heckel's drawings. Not Darwin's tree of life. Not archaeo... I'm talking about God. And He's a good God. Listen, science can be a wonderful thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here today. I'm not making fun of science. Science and the Bible are not conflicting. The problem is science hasn't caught up to the Bible. And the people that study science most often will not allow their mind to even, even consider a God. Let alone the God. I just want to encourage you to spend time with that God. The God that created the universe, the God that put you on the face of the earth, the God that now, if you're saved, reigns and lives within you, to spend some time with Him daily. To understand of all the creatures and all the beings of humanity and of the universe, He chooses to spend time with you, to literally make His abode within your heart. He loved you so much that the very Creator Himself came to earth and died on that cross, a perfect Savior, a perfect sacrifice, providing the perfect salvation that you and I now can possess if by faith we trust Him and receive Him as our Lord, our Savior. If you have never trusted Christ, the Creator, as your Lord, I want you to know He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. One of the things that is so disturbing in my mind with science is that they're trying to create this impersonal white glove, sterile environment, so to speak, where things just happen to come into being. No real purpose, no real intimacy, no real relationship. It is simply just what it is. 
I want you to know that the Christian life is much more than just a life. It is a person and his name is Jesus. And you can have a relationship with the very creator. I mean, the one that took the time to call the stars into existence, to speak the world into its, on its axis, is the very Jesus that will now receive you into his, into your, excuse me, receive you into his family. I, I just, what a wonderful thought that he cares enough, that he loves me enough, he considers me enough that he would even die for me and then he'd live in me and he would fellowship with me every day of my life. He'll do the same for you if you haven't trusted him yet. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this just time we've had together in your word. We thank you, Father, for the simplicity of just the Bible. It, it, it's not complicated. Lord, so many theories and so many ideas and different thoughts about things, how or where man came from, the origin of the species, all these different things. It gets so confusing, and you'd have to be a scientist to understand all of that. But, Lord, you never intended that it took a scientist to understand you. It's simple. It's your word. It's basic. It's functional, practical. Lord, today there may be those in the crowd that do not know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. Oh, they may believe in God. They may believe that you exist, but... There's never been a time, a place when they personally said, that Jesus that died took my place. He paid for my sin. And I know that I don't deserve to be with a perfect, holy God, but I want to be. Lord, would you help them even now to understand that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You said, he that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not, the Son hath not life. Father, help those that have yet to put their personal faith and trust in you to do so today. For the believer today that's gathered here, Lord, may we realize how blessed we really are that you, the Creator, would spend time with us, not only indwell us, but spend time with us daily, with us always. May we not take that for granted, but may we spend time, set aside time, schedule time to meet with you every single day to say I love you and I thank you for all you've done for me. And I need you today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being real. Maybe today you're in the room, you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't have that settled. You don't have that peace, that comfort, that confidence. I want you to know you can. God doesn't want you to leave here confused. You see, the Bible says that God's not the author of confusion. That means the devil is. God wants you just by faith to trust him, to believe. Yes, there's a God, but then Jesus, obviously, the Bible says, came and died. That Jesus took my place. He paid for my sin. Simple. Just believe the word and believe that truth. And you know what? Come to him today. And he'll accept you just like he accepted me and so many others when they put their faith in him. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, preacher, that's me. Can I pray for you? Would you simply slip your hand up quickly? Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask the Lord to help you, to give you courage, to, to meet your need. Yes, anybody else? Up, down, anybody else? Just quickly, up and down. Yep, anyone else? Just real fast. You don't have to leave it up. Just put it up, put it down. I don't have it settled. I, I don't know that for sure. Pray for me, preacher. Pray for me. One more time. Anybody else? Come on, there's been a few. Anybody else? I'm going to pray in just a moment. I don't have it settled. I don't know that for sure. You can. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know it. Father, for those hands that were raised, they represent souls that you care for, that you died for, that you, Father, love desperately. I pray, dear God, that they would see that, Lord, you simply want them to put their faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, that they needn't delay, that they must just simply obey. Father, work now. Do a miracle in their life. Give them the very courage they need to take and make the decisions that will change their life and their eternity. We'll thank you for it. And Lord, for those that are saved, Lord, maybe they have not had that special time with you daily. May they recognize how important it is to spend time with you, the Creator, every day. You went to great lengths to be available to them. May they be willing to be available to you. Father, we'll thank you. Every head's bowed and every eye closed as we're seated. We're not going to do anything this second. I just want to encourage you that raised your hands and I prayed for you. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you should have and you know you wanted to. Something inside said that you're not sure. That's the Holy Spirit. Something says, I need to get saved. That's God. That wouldn't be the devil. That wouldn't even be your own flesh. That's the Lord telling you you need to get saved. Don't, don't disobey him. Just obey him. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. And as the moment, the very, very moment the piano, the pianist touches the first keys, you that raised hands, step out. Come see me at the front. I'll be right in front. You that need to maybe pray at an altar, the moment the, the music starts, you step out. Come right to the altar. Take care of business. Maybe tell God, starting, starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to be, or starting tomorrow afternoon, or starting to, tomorrow evening, or maybe today, I'm going to start meeting with you daily. Schedule it. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. In just one moment, in just one moment, that music will start, and I want you to re- just respond. Holy Spirit speaking, something inside speaking. Here it is. There it is. Come on. Won't you come? Come on. Let's settle it.